Your Neighbor. Uh, this is a series that we have done for multiple years in a row talking about how we can love our neighbors around us. People who are near to us, people who might be uh, somewhat distant from us, and people who are different than us, and people who are far away from us. And Jesus commands us to go and love our neighbor. And this is much uh, easier said than done, isn't it? Those of you who've had like an actual neighbor that's really difficult, really hard to love. Uh, we had a neighbor at one point in our previous home that we lived in that um, she was a single mom. She had a child. The child was a little unruly, but she, would, uh, she was an active drug user and she would overdose the ambulance would come and take her and leave the, and the, with the child uh, there a lot of times in their backyard or on their front step. And in those moments, right, it's like, how do I love this person? It's really hard the way that, uh, you know, you have this relationship. It's really difficult sometimes. And as you look around, you know, while maybe your situation, people around you might not, you might not have neighbors like that, but it's hard to even love people sometimes that are just in commonplace in life. And as we look around, there's people who want to be loved. We all want to be loved. Your neighbor wants to be loved. The person at your work, the person at your school, we all want to be loved. And much like uh, one of, I think, the greatest Christian bands of all time, DC Talks says in one of their songs, they say, we all want to be loved, yeah. We all want just a little respect. We all want to be loved. Tell me what's wrong with that. Ooh, somebody tell me. Yeah. Anyways, there we go. We all want to be loved, don't we? We all want to be loved. Everyone. It is a human need that God has put inside us. Whether you are homeless, whether you are super affluent, whether you are male or female, young or old, whether you have a super sketchy past, whether you're the most wholesome, holy individual in the world, we all want to be loved, don't we? You want that. It is your deepest human desire in your heart. I want it. You want it. The person at the grocery store wants it. The person who delivers your mail or your mail wants it. The person who um, uh, uh, massages your back when you go to the massage parlor, they want it. Everyone. Doesn't matter who they are. Everyone wants to be loved. Some people are hard to be loved, though, aren't they? Like my neighbor, they were difficult. You know what's also hard to love, I feel like, is close talkers. You know a close talker? You're someone who like, likes to come up and then talk to you this far away, and you're just trying to back up the whole time. You're like, yo, having a hard time loving you right now. There's lots of people that's hard to, be, that's hard to love, but we all want it. But why don't we, in the midst of this deeply human desire that we have, why don't we experience more human loving connection? Why don't we more freely love people? Why don't we receive more love from others, being that it is such a high value a part of all of humanity? When I was uh, 16, I just got my license. 
I was really excited to drive. I got this like 1991 Honda Accord. It was awesome. My parents got it for me. I was like the happiest child on earth. And in my uh, immaturity, I didn't think sometimes before I acted. And I don't know if any of you are in that camp, but one time my parents had a friend over at the house from the church, and I saw this person all the time. And I was parked in the driveway, and he had parked right behind me. And so I uh, get ready, and I'm going to leave the house. And I'm like, hey, I'm going to leave. And then he goes, hey, make sure you don't hit my car on the way out. And he's like, I'm parked right behind you. And I was like, oh, yeah, don't worry. I won't hit it. And then he gives me his keys. And he's like, hey, if you need to move my car, go move my car. And I'm like, yeah, I'll totally do that. What do I do? I go outside, out the front door. I go and get into my car put it in reverse and go, and hit him. And I was was in there and I'm just like, oh my goodness, what on earth have I done? It's like the stupidest thing. They literally just told me, don't hit my car. Here's my keys. Would you please move it? Didn't look in the rear view mirror or anything. And then in that moment, I felt relationally a lot of shame and guilt. I was 16. I didn't have money to pay for the car. I didn't have this or that. And I had to go back inside. And I came back in and I was like, hey, I just hit your car. And everyone laughed. I'm like, that's funny. Can I have my keys back now? And I was like, no, I actually, I just backed into your car. And he was like, are you serious? I just told you not to hit my car. And in that moment, I just felt so much shame. And then every time I saw him at church, you know, I was like, oh, there he is. I hit that guy's car, (laughs) you know. (laughs) And then you get all awkward and you feel guilt and shame. And, you know, shame, what it ultimately does is it silences us and it makes us feel broken. And Bob Goff writes about this in his book, Everybody Always, which I encourage you, we have them out at the, the, in the, uh, the Welcome Center. You can pick a book up, really good book. But he writes about this, that it, it leaves us, shame leaves us feeling broken. And here's the thing is that I know for a lot of us in this room today that many of us have a hard time getting past our past. A lot of us have a really hard time getting past our past, if not just getting through our present. And what shame will ultimately do is it will make you feel broken and it will silence you. And you know, we all have an event in our life that as you look back on, or maybe in the, in the current midst of it, it's not as funny as me backing into someone's car. The story that you may have a part of your own past or a part of your current present, it's not that funny. But what that will do is it will ultimately leave you broken. And there, for many of us, if not all of us, there is an event or season that you wish didn't happen in your life. Uh, those of you, many of you probably have heard the name, if not seen some of her work, Brene Brown, but she talks extensively on shame and guilt, but also courage and vulnerability. And one of her most famous TED Talks on vulnerability, she dissects some of her research that she had done over people who had experienced deep and meaningful connection and people who had a really hard time experiencing meaningful connection. And what she found is she found that there was 
two different groups of people. There were people who felt worthy of connection and people who did not feel worthy of connection. And in those two camps, as she broke down those two camps even further, what she found is what shame does is, and what she describes shame is, is shame is the fear of disconnection. That is there something about me that's not worthy of connection? I'm not blank enough. So I'm not skinny enough. I'm not wealthy enough. I'm not good enough. I'm not whatever enough. And what she found is for people who felt shame, they had a fear of not having connection. And through this, um, what, what, what she ultimately found is that, that the people who had a sense of worthiness, a strong sense of love and belonging, they weren't, they weren't, it's not that they didn't struggle for it, but they believed that they were worthy of that love and belonging. And what all these people who had love and belonging had in common is what she found is that they had the courage to be imperfect. They fully embraced vulnerability willing to invest in a relationship that may or may not have worked out. But for all of us, we have probably asked ourselves similar questions before in regards to connection, belonging, shame, and vulnerability. The question like, if people really knew who I was, would anyone really love me? And the thing is, is that you don't even need the enemy to tell you what you've done wrong. You don't need the enemy to tell you how you have messed up. You know how you've messed up. You know the places of your life that you don't want to share with anyone. You know the places of your life that no one else knows about. And in those moments, that fear of disconnection that fear that would anyone really love me if they actually knew me, that is what shame and guilt is. And what it ultimately does is it erodes away at your belief that you're worthy of belonging and connection. Here's what Brene Brown writes. She says, to love someone fiercely, to believe in something with your whole heart, to celebrate a fleeting moment in time, to fully engage in a life that doesn't come with guarantees, these are risks that involve vulnerability and often pain. But I'm learning that recognizing and leaning into the discomfort of vulnerability teaches us how to live with joy, gratitude, and grace. You know, a lot of the times why we don't meet people and why we don't love our neighbor, the people around us, is because they're outside of our own comfort zone oftentimes because they are experiencing shame and guilt. When we look at people who are distraught or homeless, much of what their life culminates to is shame and guilt and disconnection. When you look at people in your school, when you walk down the hallways and you know people who are struggling, oftentimes a result of, of maybe decisions that they made or they never wanted to make that maybe happened to them, a result of that was shame and guilt and the feeling that no one would truly love me if they really knew me or knew what's happened to me or knew what I have done. But here's the thing, is that all of us have experienced shame before, haven't we? 
Each and every one of us, in spite of when you look at someone and you go, man, that's just, uh, they, uh, I, I can't deal with that. They're outside my comfort zone. We too know the feelings of shame and guilt. And I just want to ask you, as we think about how we can love our neighbor best, is there a relationship where you have let shame, whether it's your own shame or their shame, create a barrier between you and them? Is there a relationship in your life that you know shame has created a barrier? What would it look like to heal that divide in your life? What would it look like to begin to love in a new way? Here's the thing is that shame reminds us who you've been. Shame reminds you who you've been, but love declares who you are becoming. That is really good. There's a story uh, in Matthew chapter 16 that when uh, Jesus had assembled his disciples and um, he sits some of them down and Peter is there and Peter was this kind of like wild disciple. He kind of spoke before he thought. He kind of acted before he thought. Uh, He was a little bit reckless and he was a little bit ignorant and naive. And so here, in spite of who Peter was, he probably had a checkered past. He was a fisherman. He was kind of, you know, uh, just a hard worker kind of guy. And In the midst of this, he sits them down and he's asking his disciples, there's a lot of people who say I'm this, who say I'm that, but who do you say I am? Let's read this together in Matthew 16. It says, now, when Jesus came to the district of uh, Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do you say that the son of man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona. For flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter. Now, before we move on, this is a crucial moment because what the name Simon means, Peter was the name that Jesus gave him. His previous name, Simon, it means waverer. He was a waverer. He was very indecisive. And he um, was kind of flip-flopped on his feelings and emotions and relationships a lot. But he said, you are Peter. And the name Peter means a stone or a rock. And he said, you no longer are Simon the waverer, but you are Peter. He says, you are Peter. And on this rock, I will build my church. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosened in heaven. And then he strictly charged them to keep quiet. But isn't this amazing here that what Jesus could have said is, hey, Peter, you uh, haven't lived the greatest life. If you really want to be one of my disciples, you're going to have to start doing X, Y, and Z. But instead, what he said is, yes, Simon, you have been a waverer. But you will be solid as a rock. I'm declaring that you, on you, Peter, I will build my church. You have something that's so uh, incredibly awesome ahead of you. And And he spoke to who he was becoming. Who he was becoming. A fully empowered, God centered man. Now, if you're experiencing shame, disconnection, whatever, 
I can't wait till the end of the sermon to give you the good news because it's that good, and I just have to give it to you now. But Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 5.17, he says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone, and the new is here. I just want to tell you now that if you're experiencing shame and disconnection and guilt from your past, that what God has for you is a brand new life. Where just like Simon, that he was the waverer, Jesus told him that you will be solid as a rock. And I believe that God wants to tell you as well that you have a new life, that your past does not define you. And if you don't let your past die, your past won't let you continue to live the life that Jesus wants. And I just want to, you, to, uh, you to know that if you have received Christ, you are a new creation. In Christ, you are completely forgiven. You are completely valuable and unconditionally loved. Unconditionally loved. That shame will want to speak to who you once were. But love, the love of God, and we can give that love to others as well, speaks to who others are becoming. Goff writes uh, in this book on a chapter called Catching People on the Bounce, he, he talks about when he took up uh, skydiving lessons. And uh, he started learning uh, skydiving and uh, was jumping out with instructors and whatnot. And you only have like, I think he wrote like, you have like 45 seconds to pull your parachute. And if it doesn't come out, then you got to figure something out. Otherwise you're going to die. But he talked about how the instructor, he talks about how people die when they hit the ground, when they skydive. That when you hit the ground, you actually don't die apparently. What happens is you hit the ground, it breaks every bone in your body, and then you bounce. And then it's on the second hit, when you hit the ground again, that all those fractured pieces of your bones, they puncture all your organs, and then you die. <laughs> it's awesome. But it's, it's amazing. It's, this, it's like, wow, that's crazy. I didn't think that that would happen. But that's how it happens. You bounce, you break, and then you bounce again, and then you die. And what Goff writes in this, in this book here, in this chapter, is he talks about that what we want to do, how we love people best, is we want to catch people on the bounce before they hit the second time. Because what inevitably happens when life hits and things happen and shame sets in, you hit the ground hard and you're bruised and you're broken. It's there in those moments that you can love people really well and catch them before they bounce a second time. Here's what he writes. Goff writes, what is true of skydiving is true in our lives. It's usually not the initial failure that takes any of us out. It's the bounce. When we've, uh, we've all hit the ground hard at work or in a relationship or with a big ambition, whether we had a big public failure or even a big private one, the initial failure won't crush our spirit or kill our faith. It's the second hit that does. The second hit is what follows when things go massively wrong or we fail big and the people we thought would rush to us create distance instead. They express disapproval or treat us with polite indifference. Who hasn't been there before? Where you failed in some way in your marriage, your relationship, as a parent or as a child, at school, at work. And the initial hit hurts, doesn't it? It hurts bad. 
leaves you broken. But who has experienced before within their brokenness the very people you thought would love you, thought would be there for you, in turn mistreated you and just treated you with disapproval? It's in those moments that we're truly crushed. And what we are to do, how we love people well, how you love your neighbor well, is you catch people on the bounce. You know, I I see a lot of people who've hit the ground hard as a pastor. And um, I get this opportunity that in the midst of a, a lot of different types of pain and grief, that I get to be there. And one uh, moment stands out to me that a good friend uh, uh, came to me uh, a few years back and I was at my house, uh, minding my own business, knock on the door. And there's my good friend and I was like, hey buddy, come on in here. And he came in and I could tell that like just something was off. I could tell that like uh, uh, something something difficult was going to be said. And maybe, you know, you've experienced that before with a spouse or with a child where, you know, they come in the room and it's just like, okay, something's about to go down, right? And uh, he began uh, just to share with me, he sat me down and just began to share with me um, that all along in his uh, marriage and uh, with his, uh, even with uh, having some of his kids, um, he had this massive pornography addiction. And that he had hit it, um, it, was, it was so bad that he didn't know how to get rid of it. And he was, I could tell that he was broken. He was telling me how his marriage was struggling from it. Um, and I, I just looked at him. And in that moment, you know, maybe you've been there before. Um, we have a friend or a family member or something. I had this opportunity, right? That what I could have done was I could have been like, oh, man, like, wow, it's crazy, uh, shoot, <laughs> and just kind of let him go, and then just treated him with disapproval, because it's like, wow, I don't know, like, uh, I don't know if you're good enough to hang out with me anymore, and I know you got these, like, problems and whatnot, or in that moment, man, he hit the ground hard, in that moment, or you you can catch a friend, and in that moment, there I was, I got an opportunity to pray with him, uh, listen to him, um, and, uh, and speak into his life as well. And then, you know, he went on, and he got counseling, and I mean, I look at him now, and his marriage is just so amazing. But one thing that came out of that as well is that I, I just saw the faith that it took for him to be vulnerable. I saw the courage that it took for him just to be open. And one great result is I feel like our friendship is deeper because of it. But another is I saw that faith, And I just said, wow, I want that type of faith and vulnerability. I want that type of courage to not only get past my past, but I want that type of courage to have a friendship where that I could be fully me. That I wasn't afraid of, is if someone really knew who I was, would they really love me? And so there, you know, I processed for a few weeks and in the time, I was uh, in some counseling as well. And I, I had a, a past of some sexual abuse when I was a child that I had never told anyone, not my parents, not my wife. And it was there because of that instance of when he came to me and said, hey, this is going on, is that when I finally first took the leap of faith and courage to talk about my own past. And what he never knew 
is that his own act of vulnerability and courage not only allowed us to have a deeper relationship, but it empowered me to seek greater levels of vulnerability and spiritual freedom in my own life. That if we don't ever allow ourselves or other people to be vulnerable with us, your past will keep you in bondage. It will keep you in bondage. And what you'll find is when you begin to catch people on the bounce and you love them with your whole heart and you love them with all that you are, you don't tell them all the ways that they've messed up and all the things that they should be doing. Now that you've told me, let me tell you the recipe to getting better. That when you listen and you love, what you'll find is not only is their life changed, but your life will be changed forever as well. And prior to Jesus' death, um, Peter, you know, he would give him this big command and uh, he was told to go and build the church and on this rock, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to build this. And oh, awesome, like just so empowered. And prior to Jesus' death in the Last Supper, Jesus talked about, hey, one of you is going to betray me. And in classic Peter style, he said, Lord, I will never betray you. I'll never do that. Even if all these other disciples betray you, I will never betray you. And then what Jesus told him is like, Peter, surely you will deny me three times before the rooster crows. And then as Judas betrayed Jesus and he was taken and, uh, uh, and then was in trial... And as Peter is out amongst uh, uh, all this hubbub going on, people recognize Peter as a disciple of Jesus. And as Jesus was in prison, people started coming up to Peter and saying, hey, I recognize you. You're one of Jesus' disciples. And what did Peter do? No, no, no. I don't know who you're talking about. I don't know this Jesus that you're talking about. And then again and again, and on the third time, the rooster crowed, and Peter's heart was grieved because even in his own arrogance and pride and said that I will never deny you, he did three times. And then Jesus died. He was crucified. He raised from the dead. And Jesus came to Peter. Peter had no idea what was going to happen. He hadn't seen Jesus. He had maybe heard stories that people had seen Jesus after he had died and resurrected. But what Peter ultimately did is he denied Jesus, and then he went back to his old way of life. He went back, he began fishing again, went back to just what he knew how to do. And he just went back to as if he wasn't following Jesus any longer. Maybe you've been there before as well. You ever done that? Where you've denied Jesus in your life with word or action, and you just kind of got back into an old way of life, back into an old way of living. Let this be good news to you because Jesus loves to catch people on the bounce. In John 21, it talks about as uh, uh, John and Peter are fishing, um, Jesus appeared to them on the shoreline. And he called out to them, and he said, are, you know, are you catching any fish? And they didn't know who he was, and they're like, no, nah, we ain't got any. And then he said, you know, cast your net on the other side, and they threw it on the other side, and they got all this fish, and then they realized it was Jesus, and they just like ran to him. And then Jesus cooked them this like little breakfast meal, and over breakfast, he began talking to him, and he pulls Peter aside. And after breakfast in John 21, it uh, says, Jesus asked Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, Peter replied. 
You know that I love you. And he said, then feed my lambs. Jesus repeated the question, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord, Peter said. You know that I love you. Then take care of my sheep, Jesus said. A third time he asked, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt that Jesus asked the question a third time. The reason why he was hurt, too, was because when Jesus asked Peter, do you love me? He was using the form of agape. Do you agape love me? Which is the most unconditional, great type of love. And Peter kept responding. He said, no, I phileo love you, which is more of like a brotherly friendship love. And then he repeated, do you agape love me? And he said, no, I, phileo, I, can't, I don't love you. That I phileo love you. I can't match you on that level. And then the third time is when Jesus said, well, do you even phileo love me? Do you even love me at the own standard that you say to me? And it was in that moment that Peter felt grieved and his heart hurt that he asked him that because he knew his actions didn't align with what his words had said. He knew that he had denied Jesus three times and that even his own words didn't line up with what he was speaking to Jesus here. But his heart said, Lord, I still love you. And he said, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And then Jesus said, feed my sheep. He said, I tell you the truth. When you were young, you were able to do as you liked. You dressed yourself and went wherever you wanted to go. But when you were old, you will stretch out your hands as others will dress you and take, care, uh, and take you where you want to go. Jesus said this to let him know what kind of death he would glorify God. And then he told Peter, follow me. What he had reminded Peter here is he again spoke to his future. That in spite of Peter's past of denying Jesus, what Jesus could have said is, Peter, you denied me. Remember I told you and in your arrogance you said you would never do that, but you did it anyways. He could have said that, but he didn't. And what he reminded him is, Peter, you are going to feed my sheep. You are going to shepherd the flock. And then he told him, of not only the, the things that he'll do, but the type of faith that he will have. That remember, he called him Peter. You are the rock. You're going to have this unwavering faith. And then he told Peter that one day you're going to stretch out your arms because of your faith, and you're going to die in that type of way. And Peter was martyred. He was one of the martyrs. And he died, arms stretched wide. Did his faith waver? No, he was a solid rock. And Jesus reminded him and spoke to him of who he would become. In that moment, Peter was grieved. His heart was surely heavy. Yet in that very moment, he had hit the ground hard after denying Jesus. But he caught Peter on that bounce. And he reestablished relationship. He called him back to his mission and reaffirmed who he was becoming. The solid rock, the unwavering faith. Goff writes, follow Jesus to people who are hurting, who have hit the ground hard, and catch them on the pounce. When you encounter people who have hit hard, don't necessarily tell them what they want. Tell them who they are. The beauty of the gospel is that in spite of your shame and in spite of my shame, in spite of you hitting the ground hard, this means that if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone and the new is here. You are undoubtedly and forever forgiven. You are unconditionally loved. 
the new is here. And it's easy to think about the mess that you've made, but it's not about that. It is about the price that Jesus paid. And Jesus paid an incredible price for you and for me. That he died on the cross so that we could experience um, a, a love that goes all beyond shame and guilt. That God has a new life for you to live into. That no longer does your past define you. No longer does the mistakes define you. No longer does all the mess that you've made define you. But it's about the price that Jesus paid. And that he wants to catch you on the bounce. And that what we get to do in turn after Jesus has caught us in all our sin and in all our shame is that what does he ask us to go and do? Go and love your neighbor and do the same. So that means that when your friend comes to you, when your wife comes to you, that means that when that coworker comes to you or the person at your school comes to you and they say something that you know that they've hit rock bottom, you get to love them like that. And you get to catch them on the bounce. Would you pray with me? And if you're in here this morning, and maybe you've never made a decision to follow Christ, this Jesus that we're talking about loves you and died for you. And of all the mess that you've made, he wants to forgive you, love you. And the shame and guilt that you, that you feel, he wants to replace that with belonging, love, and acceptance. And if that's you and you've never entered into a, a relationship with Jesus, I want you to pray this prayer with me, just in your own heart and mind. God, would you forgive me? Forgive me of the ways that I have messed up. Lord, I don't know everything, but what I know right now is that I want your love and acceptance and belonging. Would you come into my heart? Wash me. Make me new. Would you be the Lord and Savior of my life? I want to follow you all of my days. And if you prayed that prayer, would you just take an act of courage? With everyone's, you know, eyes still closed. If you prayed that prayer, would you just slip your hand up just so I can see Good, thank you, thank you, yeah, thank you, yeah, good. I just want to tell you as we just continue to pray here that that was the best decision you've made. The old is gone and the new is here, my friend. God has something so great in store for you. That who you are becoming is someone that God dearly has loved and is going to release you into healthy relationship, breaking the bondage of your sin, that you might become a fully empowered man or woman of God. God, thank you for who you are. Thank you for what you do. Lord, would you help us love people well? God, would you help give us eyes to see and would you give us ears to listen to when people are experiencing brokenness and shame and guilt, when people have hit the ground hard, those who are near to us and those who are far from us. God, allow us to love people like you would love them. God, we thank you for that. Thank you for who you are. And we pray this in your precious name, Jesus. Amen. Amen.
Hey, if, if you're new here, or maybe you've been coming for a while, but you just haven't been able to get connected yet, we're going to have uh, uh, someone right over here along with myself at our first connect. We'd love just to talk with you and share with you a little bit about uh, our church and how you can get connected. If you would like any prayer, there'll be someone right over here. They would love to pray with you. Otherwise, God bless you. Grab one of those uh, Everybody Always books out in the lobby. We'll see you next week.